The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. We're in a, a portion now of 1 Peter where the Apostle Peter is, is showing us how we are to live uh, in such a way that makes a lost world take notice of our different life. We have been now for uh, a number of weeks looking uh, at that through this, this perspective of submission. And Peter specifically addresses submission in three spheres of life. The first, and and Jacob handled this a a few weeks ago, the first is the submission to the citizen to the state. The second thing that Peter addresses is the submission of slaves to masters. That was our sermon last week. And then in this text, for this week, it is submission of wives to husbands. Now, let's think about this, and and I think it's pretty interesting that these three spheres of life, how we uh, interact with governing authorities or authorities in general, uh, how we interact um, in the workplace, even though we said last week that's not the, the, an exact um, example of slaves to master, but it just, slaves to masters, so much more than just our workplace, but it's certainly applicable to there since, um, by God's grace, we're not slaves, but how we we live with the government as one sphere, how we live in the workplace as another sphere, and then how we live within uh, marriage relationships within the family as the third sphere of life. Now, you take those three things, and that encompasses pretty much all of our life. There's not much left after that. And that's, that's what, what Peter is, is doing here. He's showing us, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's, he's you know, opening this up for us to see that we are called to live a, a life that has been so radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ that it ha- has now affected every part of our life. Every sphere of our life is is affected by the gospel. Every spirit is changed by the gospel. There's not a part of our life that that should be outside of the controlling effects of the gospel on us. Specifically through this this idea of submission. And that in it, we are called as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to live differently than the world. We're called to look differently than the world in all aspects of life. And the the question for us is, are we okay with that? Are you okay with the fact that God has called you to live and to look different than the rest of the world? And knowing that that being different than the rest of the world may bring suffering your way. Are you okay with that? That's, the, that's this context that, that Peter has given us. This, this is what I believe is the framing verse for this, this whole uh, portion of Scripture that we've been in. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Where Peter says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What Peter's saying is you live in such a way, you live so radically different than the rest of the world. You live in a, in a, in, in a way that the gospel has changed every part of you. So that while you are living this way, the world would see you and they would slander you. They will speak of you. They will call you an evildoer. But you keep living that way in the hopes that 
maybe by the grace of God, when God visits them for salvation, they would respond in faith to the gospel and be saved. See, the the underlying uh, theme here is this theme of, of suffering, that living in such a way that the gospel has changed every part of our life will bring suffering. Living in a way that's different than the rest of the world will bring suffering. And are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? Every part of our life should be changed, affected by the gospel. And today, Peter turns his attention to the marriage relationship. So what is it that Peter has to say about marriage and how submission in a way that is countercultural and submission in a way that's informed by the gospel would be used by God to bring salvation to, to a lost world. Now, first, just by way of context and some general information, because I find it uh, important for me, it's just to be reminded here that, that Peter, as he wrote the, this, is writing it as a married man. Peter is married. We know this. Uh, we don't really know anything about his wife, but we do know he's married. Mark speaks of uh, Peter's in-laws. So this, this apostle, this man, Peter, who is speaking first and foremost through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he is also speaking as a man who who is a husband and who has a wife. And this is a man who has followed the call of Jesus to, to leave everything and to follow Him. This is a man now who is an apostle, who is, is the apostle. This is a man who now has given his life for the sake of the gospel and the building of the church around the world. This is a man who is living in such a way that is leading him to a martyrdom, to a death for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the Apostle Peter. As he writes these words, this is what he is doing. This is how he is living. And he is doing it within the context of a marriage relationship. This is Something, as Peter talks about it, that he would have understood and knew and experienced firsthand. I say this just to say that he knows what he's talking about. And when he says that the gospel makes an impact in every aspect of your life, he knows that. He has experienced it firsthand. And there is nowhere that the gospel does not work. And the gospel can work. It has the power to work in every sphere of your life. And as it works, even if it seems backwards, even if it seems countercultural, even if it seems difficult, it works to bring you the most joy. And I feel like that's really needed as we address this topic specifically of wives submitting to husband, primarily, but also husbands honoring your wife. Because as I was writing this, as I was reading this, as I was studying this, I was thinking, this seems backwards. This seems old-fashioned. This seems out of step with the, the culture. I mean, we understand how there is, there's pushback with this idea of, of submission. But Peter, he's taking it even a step further, right? I mean, he's talking here about not braiding your hair, and not wearing jewelry, and, and having a quiet spirit. I mean, this just, this, this seems through the culture's lens to be old-fashioned and backwards and something that we as a society have, have moved past. But the reality is, when the gospel works in our hearts and when the gospel works in our lives and even if it feels countercultural and backwards and outdated and difficult the reality is when these things happen in us by the grace of God they work to produce in us our greatest joy 
And the world will say there's no joy here. There's no joy in this kind of life for a wife. There's no joy in this kind of life for a husband. But the reality is that this is where our joy is found. Our joy is found in obedience to the Scriptures. Our joy is found in the Gospel working in us and through us. And this is especially seen in these verses in this sphere of of family and and marriage. A little bit of a, a long introduction. Let's get to the text. Peter gives a counsel to the wives here, and it is to be submission and develop uh, to be submissive and develop a true beauty. That's Peter's instruction here to wives: be submissive and develop a true beauty. Let's look at what he says, starting in verse one. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. We have a a chapter break here between chapter 2 and chapter 3. This is a letter that Peter's written to these churches. There's no verse uh, delineations. There's no chapter breaks. This is just a continuation of of the thought that, that Peter's been given up until this point. And that's seen in this first word here, likewise. This is a continuation of what Peter has been saying. What he's saying, as he says, likewise wives, he's saying, in the same manner as a citizen is to the state and as a slave is to a master, so wives, you be this way with your husbands. That's what that word means, likewise. Just like the citizen to the state and just like the slave to the master, wives, you be this way to your husband. Now, the question then is, in what way is this a calling to be? And the answer is, in a way that understands that your first and your supreme loyalty is to Jesus Christ. That's what Peter means when he says, likewise, wives. Just like a citizen to the state, just like a slave to the master, wives, you be to your husband. In what way? In a way that understands that our first and supreme loyalty is to Christ Jesus. When Peter speaks of how citizens are to live with governing authority, this is what he says. We see it, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. Be subject, be submission, for what reason, for what purpose? For the Lord's sake, not for the emperor's sake, not for the president's sake, not for the governor's sake, for the Lord's sake, be submissive to the governing authorities. Why? Because your first and supreme um, loyalty is to Christ Jesus. And that informs everything else. He goes on to say in in verse 16, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Even as you submit to the governing authorities, you are living in the reality that your submission is ultimately to God. Because He is... Supreme. He is first. He is preeminent. He is priority. And you live that way. That's what informs your submission to the state. Says the same things when he talks about uh, slaves' submission to masters. First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 19. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. If you remember our, our sermon from last week. That is the key phrase. How can a slave submit to an unjust master? A slave submits to an unjust master because his mind is set on God as first, as supreme, as preeminent. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin you are beaten for it? You endure. But if when you do good and you suffer for it and you endure, 
this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This gracious thing in the sight of God means that this is something that, that deserves the praise of God. This is a, a response. This is a way of life that is, brings joy to God. And that's an evidence of him being first, of him being supreme. And so now Peter says, now wives, in the same way, you live in submission. Not because your husband deserves it, but because your first and supreme loyalty is to Christ Jesus. And through your submission, God gets glory and the gospel gets proclaimed. That's what Peter's telling wives here. You submit to your husbands in the same way a citizen submits to the state, in the same way a slave submits to a master. Wives, you submit to a husband. Not because they deserve it, not because they earn it, but because in your submission to your husband, God gets glory and the gospel gets proclaimed. Here's the way Peter says it. Likewise, wives... Be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. This is the heart of submission in the marriage relationship. That wife, through your submission... If your husband is not a believer, he might by your life see the gospel lived out in you and trust Jesus Christ as his Savior. That's what, that's what this means. Even if they don't obey the word. This is a husband who is not a believer. This is a husband who does not live godly. This is a husband who, who does not deserve submission. But wife, in your submission to him, he might be one without a word just by your conduct. Now, how does that happen? How is a, is a lost husband one to, to faith in Jesus Christ through the conduct of his wife? How is the submission of a wife a means for the proclamation of the gospel? Well, I... I'll give you a couple reasons how I think this happens. And the first is, is that marriage is a picture of the gospel. That's what marriage is. Marriage is our closest earthly picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's turn our attention to Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22. We're going to read a number of verses there. If you want to turn there, you can. They'll be on the screens. This is what Peter has to say in a, in a uh, parallel passage, or what Paul has to say in a parallel passage. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Paul writes, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and he cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. What mystery? This mystery of marriage. This mystery of a man leaving his family, of a woman leaving her family, and they being joined together in marriage and becoming one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let his wife 
See that she respects her husband. What does Paul say here? Paul is saying is that what God has done in marriage, in the joining together of a man and a woman, in the joining together of, of, of two sinners who are called to, to love each other, to forgive each other, and to bear with one another, is a picture of how God relates to His people. It is the closest earthly picture of the gospel that we have. That's why John Piper says that marriage is mostly forgiveness and forbearance. It's forgiveness and bearing with the sin of one another. Forgiving sin and bearing with the sin. Because you take two people who are inherently sinful and fleshly and who are going to wrong one another, who are going to hurt one another. And you put them together in a relationship that says, no matter what, I choose to forgive. No matter what, I choose to love. And what you see in that relationship is how God relates to us. That no matter what in Jesus Christ, God forgives. And no matter what in Jesus Christ, God loves. This is what God has intended in the marriage relationship. And as we do that, as we mess up, because we all mess up, as we sin, because we all sin, as we hurt, because we all hurt, Yet we forgive and we bear and we submit and we honor. What we proclaim to the world is how God relates to us. This is how marriage is used as a proclamation of the gospel because marriage is a picture of the gospel. Marriage is also a picture of the relationship of Jesus Christ and God the Father. Because within the marriage, you see two people of equal worth, of equal value, but differing roles. Submission is never an issue of lesser value. Of, a, of lesser worth. When the world looks at God's Word and when the world looks at, at us crazy believers and they see wives who submit to husband leadership, they interpret that as a wife being less than a husband. Of a wife being of a lower value of a husband. And, and what the world says, what the culture says is... This is, this is antiquated thinking of when wives and when women were, were put down as the, as the lesser sex and men being the chauvinists and the pigs that they are have elevated themselves. Right? That's what the, that's what the culture sees when they look at, at this. But that is not the case. Because what we see in marriage and what we see in the submission of a wife to a husband does not have to do about value. It does not have to do about worth. It has to do about God-given roles. And what we see mirrored, reflected in this marriage relationship of submission and authority is how Jesus Christ relates to God the Father. Now, as, as Orthodox Christians, and I, I hope we all are, and, and we, are, we are Trinitarian people, right? I mean, we believe that, that God has eternally existed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all three equal in value and worth. One is not less than the other. They are co-equal. They are, are co-glorious. They are co-powerful. Yet Jesus Christ willingly submitted Himself 
to the Father. Not because he was less than the Father. Not because he was not of greater, of, of, not because he was of a lesser value than the Father, but because his role was different than that of the Father. And Jesus understood that and he accepted that and he set for us an example of that. And we see that in marriage. As wives submit to husbands, not because they're lesser, not because they're not of as much value, not because they're not as important, not because they ought to be put to the side and, and speak when spoken to, but because this is God-given roles. This is how God's set things up. And quite frankly, we don't have any right to question it. We don't have any right to push back against it. Why should the clay say to the potter, why have you made me this way? He can make anything any way he wants to. He's God and this is the way he's made it. And it's a reflection of God-given roles. And in that, the gospel is proclaimed. Marriage is a means of the proclamation of the gospel because marriage is a picture of the gospel. That's the first way that I believe marriage is a proclamation of the gospel. The second way I believe that marriage is a proclamation of the gospel is a wife's willing submission to her husband is countercultural. And in being countercultural, it is a proclamation of the gospel. That's, that's this undercurrent. In verse 1, right? That a husband sees the difference in his wife and is able to connect the dots. That's the undercurrent here, right? Now, here's the way I see this playing out. You got a couple of these guys at the water cooler, at the water well, I guess talking about life and doing what men are prone to do, and that is what? Talking about their wives. And you've got one husband who's talking about a wife who is not submissive. And you've got another husband talking about a wife who's totally different than that. And him going, so what's the difference in his wife and my wife? And the only difference is my wife claims Jesus Christ. And in that, he's able to connect the dots and her willing submission to him, even though he doesn't deserve it, is a means by which the gospel is proclaimed through her life and he becomes a believer. Now, this is verse 2 here. So 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, that's an unbelieving husband, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So wives, you choose to live this way because it reflects the grace of God towards you. That's the undercurrent. I'm living this way towards my husband, even though he doesn't believe it. He doesn't obey the word. That's a husband who doesn't deserve it. Even though he doesn't deserve it, I'm living this way because I understand that living this way reflects the grace of God towards me. And by God's grace, my husband would see it. And by God's grace, he would use it to bring salvation. The context here is that this is a beautiful kind of life. See, the world tells us this is a terrible kind of life. But God's Word says this is a beautiful kind of life. If you want a life of beauty, then live this way. This is where Peter goes next, verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning 
be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. All right, so here we've got this text that some circles Christianity have have taken and, and, and ran with. Because we read this and we say, so is what God is saying here, is he forbidding certain hairstyles? Or is he forbidding certain jewelry? So here's what I want you to do, ladies. I want you to reach over and I want you to take off your wedding ring. And when the offering baskets are passed, I want you to put those in the offering basket. I'm just kidding. This, this is not God forbidding certain hairstyles. This is not God forbidding the wearing of jewelry. Now, how do we know that? Well, I would say the most evident place to know that is in this this great love letter of the Song of Solomon. And this wife who is held up as, as beautiful, right? In all respects, beautiful. And and what do we learn? Song of Solomon 1.10 Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. Your neck with strings of jewels. Now there are multiple verses in Song of Solomon where she is described this way. As wearing jewelry. As being externally beautiful. You see, if this isn't, you're not allowed to braid your hair and you're not allowed to wear jewelry, right? If it isn't that, then, then what is it? That should be the question we're asking here. And I, and I think the point is, is twofold. The first is, is that this is not to be the preoccupation or the main concern in your life. External beauty should never be the main concern and the preoccupation in your life. Peter uses this as an example because of the context here in the first century where women would seek to outdo one another in outlandish hairstyles. Outlandish colors, outlandish hairstyles, and then they would adorn themselves with jewels most normally... uh, in the form of, of, a, of a crown of some sort, so that they would stand out above and beyond everybody else. And so you had like this, this competition, even within the church often, of women uh, competing with one another in these outlandish hairstyles and outlandish jewels so that they could look uh, better and uh, more important than the rest. That's the culture here. And so Peter's just writing saying, listen, as people who've been changed by the gospel, we live different than the world. The world is living this way where outward beauty is the preoccupation of their their time. But you, because the gospel's changed you, you live where the outward isn't the priority, the inward's the priority. Where beauty is cultivated not on the outside, but beauty is cultivated on the inside. You live that way. You live that way. The other point within this one is, I believe, that that Peter's just saying that this is not to be a preoccupation of the main concern in the matter of drawing an unsaved husband to Christ. Meaning you can't find him to salvation. That's what Peter's saying here. But you can serve him there. And then the the second point I think is that the understanding of, of beauty in a Christian worldview is primarily inward. Now that being said, this is not go be frumpy or miskept just because you're a Christian. Right? That's not what this is. Well, God says, God's word says, don't concern yourself with outward appearance. So it's fine for me to look unkept. 
That's not what Peter's saying here. I, I was listening to, to somebody on this verse, I don't remember, and they quoted somebody, so, you know, this is like fourth-hand information here. But, but they, you know, they said, don't marry her just because she's ugly and a Christian. Like, that's not what Peter's saying here. Peter's point here is that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand true beauty to be inward. And when the gospel changes your heart, it changes you from the rest of the culture that says true beauty is outward. And so Peter's point here is to act modestly. Now, there's big emphasis here on this word act modestly. Because I, th- I think we can really, and, and we need to, we can really key on on the dress modestly. But that's not just the point, is it? The point is, is that you understand beauty to be inward so that now you not only dress modestly, but you act modestly. You not only dress modestly, but you have a modest attitude. Here's the way Peter says it. But let your adorning, instead of it being outward... Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. See, this is is, you dress in a modest fashion, but you also act in a modest fashion. Right? Peter, Peter says... With a gentle and quiet spirit. I mean, talk about countercultural. I mean, even as I read that, I think this is so against everything that the culture says. And this is so going to come off old fashioned and backwards and out of steps. But we can't care about that. We got to say what God's word says, right? And it says that a beautiful, attitude, a beautiful heart for a lady is a quiet and gentle spirit. Not one that's loud, not one that's boisterous, not one that draws attention to herself, not one that's quarrelsome, but one that is quiet and one that is gentle. Now, I thought about that. Why in the world would that be precious in God's sight? And do you know what I, 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 I came to? Because a quiet and a gentle spirit is Christ-like. He was quiet and he was gentle. He was lowly. He had no form that anyone should take notice of him. He was reviled and he was slandered, yet he opened not his mouth. But he was kind and he was patient. And he was gentle and he was loving. And women, when you have that kind of attitude, it's an attitude, it's heart that is Christ-like. Now, what Peter is advocating for here isn't unprecedented. And that's his argument. That I'm not the first to say that wives should submit to their husbands and that their focus should be an inward beauty and not an outward beauty. Verse 5, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. This is how they adorned themselves. Not with, with outward beauty, but with inward beauty, with submission and a quiet and gentle spirit. This is how these holy women of God lived. This is what we see. They did it by submitting to their own husbands. Verse 6, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. He holds up Sarah and Abraham as the example. That she willingly submitted to Abraham. 
And so wives, just like her, you should submit to your husbands. He even says, and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Now, as I read that verse, I thought, oh man, there is some danger here, right? Because we could take that verse and make it mean something that it doesn't. This is not advocating or excusing abuse. Because it could come across that way, right? This phrase, if you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. See, these are fears over where your submission may lead, not an advocating or an excusing of abuse. And he uses Sarah as the example. And let's look at Sarah as the example. Don't you think that she was afraid to, to go to a land that she didn't know? Don't you think that she was afraid to follow Abraham, to leave her family, to leave her home, and to journey with him to only God knows where? But her commitment was to do good and to do right not to do what was safe. And so Peter offers up Sarah as the example. And he calls all wives to live this way. In a willing submission to your husband. Even if he doesn't deserve it. As you cultivate an inward beauty and a quiet and gentle spirit that is Christ-like in the hopes and the prayer that God may use your life and your conduct to bring him to salvation. And you do that just like citizens submit to the state and slaves submit to their masters. You do that because you understand that God is the priority. Now, husbands, we are not left out here. Look at what he says to us. Likewise, husbands. In the exact same way, husbands, you are to put Christ first in your life. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. What does that mean? That means a considerate way. That means a way that does not lord your authority over them, but a way that knows them. Live with your wives in such a way where you know what they are, you know what they do, and you know what they need. You live in a way that is considerate to your wives. We are to be so invested in our wives, in our marriage, in our relationships that we know our wives. We know them personally. We know them intimately. We know their needs and we know how to meet them. That's how God's called us to live. This is hard work. But this is what God's called us to. Hey, man, God's not called you to be passive. God's not called you to sit around and do nothing and be served. God's not only called you to go to work and to give 100% and then to get home and give maybe 15. God's called you to live likewise in an understanding way. In an understanding way. I typed this sermon up yesterday afternoon. I always like to type them up on Saturdays. And we had gotten done with a sale and Alicia had to go to the grocery store and get some things done. And we were tired and she was tired. And it was a spaghetti kind of night. Anybody else have spaghetti kind of nights? It's like, you know, boil some pastas about all I got. And so she was gone. And I thought, well... I guess I might as well start trying to live this way. So I made the spaghetti. <laughs> because I know my wife. 
And I knew that would mean a whole lot to her. And it did. When she got home, it did. And I say that not to say, oh, look at me as the example. But she was shocked when she got home. (laughs) She couldn't believe it. You made the spaghetti? I did. I did. Because living in an understanding way is hard. Taking the time and taking the energy to know your wife is hard. But that's what God's called us to. To know them in such a way that we are able to meet their needs. Peter goes on to, show, to say, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, let's not go PC here. It's not difficult to look and to see that men are stronger than women. It's common sense. And we show honor, we show respect to the women in our lives as the weaker vessel. Now, I love what Peter says here because it's almost like, and he can, the Holy Spirit's inspiring him. He is seeing through time, right to us today, some 2,000 years later, just saying, let me clarify what I mean by that since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, which means that they are just as valuable, just as worthy. They are heirs with you. You are not over them. You are not beyond them. You are not better than them. They are heirs with you and you treat them that way. That's it. They're weaker because you're not as strong. That's, that's physiology. Not weaker in value, not weaker in worth. They're, they're heirs with us in this grace of life. And you do this so that your prayers may not be hindered. You know, it's crazy to me that some in the culture will come to God's word and say that it is demeaning to women. The opposite is true. The exact opposite is true. The opposite is seen in this text. Listen, the gospel brings honor and respect to wives. That's what the gospel does. The gospel moves us to a place where we honor and we respect and we serve and we know and we love our wives. That's where the gospel takes us. I so believe that. That I would say that those who claim to be Christians but are emotionally, spiritually, physically, sexually abusive to their wives, they are not Christians. The gospel doesn't take us there. The gospel takes us to honor and respect and love. That's where the gospel takes us. Don't come here, man, and think, woman, submit. Come here and say, how can I honor? How can I respect? How can I love? So here's the questions this morning, church. Is this the description of your marriage? A wife who submits to her husband, not because he deserves it, because God is number one. A husband who honors and respects his wife and lives with her in an understanding way. Does this describe your marriage? Because this is what God's called us to. None of this has been easy. Submission to the state, submission slaves to a master, submission wives to a husband, none of this has been easy. But God doesn't call us to what's easy. God calls us to what's good. For those of you who are contemplating marriage, and there's a number of you who are engaged or who want to be, Would you come to this text and would you leave from it thinking clearly about marriage? Not romanticizing it. Because this kind of life is hard. This is what God's called us to and it is hard work. It's good work. And it's God glorifying work.
but it's hard work. And a lot of the times, it is suffering work. This is what God's called us to. Woman, would you make sure that the man you are going to marry is someone that you would want to honor for Jesus' sake? That you would want to serve and you would want to submit to for Jesus' sake? Because if he is not, then he is not the one to marry. And gentlemen, the likewise is true. Is she someone that you would honor and respect and live with in an understanding way for Jesus' sake? Because if she is not, then she is not the one to be married to. This is marriage and it is difficult. But in all things, the main question is, who are you looking to please? Are you looking to please Christ? Are you looking to please yourself? That's been all three of these fears. Jesus Christ is first. Now one closing thought and we're done. Most of us in this room are married. And we all fall short. Every one of us. But the good news is, the grace of God covers every one of those shortcomings. Every one of them. Every one of them. So my hope is, is you don't walk away from this text feeling defeated. You don't walk away from this text feeling like a terrible wife or a terrible husband. But you walk away from this text, yes, with repentance if needed, but knowing that the grace of God forgives. And a husband and a wife is called to do the same thing, to forgive. Because our relationships with our spouse is a means for the proclamation of the grace of of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.